p.m. I'm on the very top of the mountain. I've been just uh, sitting up looking over the overlook here and um, really just asking the Father again to speak to me and that if there was any way that I could see the children for spring break that wouldn't violate His will to please let me do it. And um, I also said, but Father, if if this is if, if I am here in the 919 and over and over again and you don't want me to do this, then I'm going to have the courage to do it, Father. And I said, you know I will. And uh, it's interesting, about 45 minutes ago, I was down on the bottom side of the valley, and I was, uh, I was uh, listening to some Charles Stanley messages and taking some notes, and he was talking about, you know, the, that it takes courage to wait upon the Lord, it takes courage to obey the Lord, and all things that are resonating with exactly what I've been going through. And um, at one point I stopped to take a note and I looked down and it was at like nine minutes and 14 seconds and my eyes went right to it. And I thought, gosh, I wonder if that's going to turn to 919 before I could get the phone turned off. And I literally was trying to press the button on my phone to get it to go off. And I could not get it to, to turn off. It turned off on the third push, nine minutes and 20 seconds, just as I had seen the 919. Just again, a reminder of while the cloud remains over the tabernacle a long time the Israelites obeyed God and did not set out and I'm at a place now where it seems pretty obvious that I'm going to have to do this and it's almost like a replay of what happened before Christmas where I just was so upset and cried and I don't think it's going to affect me that way it's it does feel sad and um, I do feel a little fearful about having to, to do this again I, I, I recognize that it does take courage to do this. It is very difficult for me to, once again, this is now going to make me look um, really, really bad in the eyes of my enemy and my parents and everybody around, and I'm afraid that that's going to affect the children's opinion about me. And I, nevertheless, I have to obey the Lord. I made a long message yesterday and really just concluded that I'm more afraid of disobeying God than I am of making a mistake and mishearing God, but yet still thinking I'm being obedient to that. I would rather make a mistake in my hearing of the Lord, attempting to be obedient to Him, than to, you know, kind of manipulate the circumstances and maybe pretend like I'm not hearing what I'm hearing. So... I'm going to have to have the courage today to do this, and I've been trying to think, should I do this in a video or in audio, and I'm not 100% sure. Um, maybe I'm going to do a video for them, that way they can all watch it at one time. And um, I think maybe that it, it will be something that they can look back on years later, maybe that will help them in their faith when they have to go through something similar and God asks them to do something that causes suffering or uh, seems to not make any sense at all to people around them or maybe even makes them look bad. So today's a heavy day. I'm not looking forward to doing this at all and uh, it's frustrating but I did also read in the book of Numbers this morning starting in the 11th chapter into like the 14th chapter where the 14th chapter of Numbers is, I'm pretty sure it's chapter 14, it's 13 and 14, 
It is just a miserable, miserable account of the Israelites disobeying God. And God basically declares them wicked because of their unbelief. God has been telling them forever through the promise of Abraham that they were going to inherit this promised land. Moses commands 12 spies to go into the land to, to scout out, quote, the land that God has promised us. So there's this promise, and they know they're just to go in and kind of scout it out. And then the ten spies come back and are very fearful. There's giants in the land. There's fortified cities. The people are huge. They outnumber us. They're too strong for us. We can't do it. And um, Caleb and Joshua are the only ones that came back saying, it's okay, we can do this. God can deliver these people in our hands. But the ten got everybody fearful And they all began to weep and cry and they began to doubt God. They put their eyes on the circumstances. And when you read this in the story, it's a horrifying account of people blatantly disbelieving God. And it's not that they didn't believe in God. They didn't believe Him for the strength to do what God actually said He would do. And they began to doubt. And God literally becomes so heavy-handed on them that He sends a plague He's going to end up wiping a great number of them out. They're never going to get to see the promised land. Anybody over the age of 20 years old is never going to make it and touch foot because into the promised land because the Bible says that they treated him with contempt. And, he, and God says, no one who's treated my name with contempt will ever step foot on that promised land. And you see this is just such a horrendous, horrendous account of disobeying and not believing God. A lack of faithfulness. The Bible uses that word that there was their unfaithfulness. And so I read that and just a great fear came over me of disobeying God. I got on my hands and knees and I asked God to forgive me if, for, my un, for my wavering faith and for the times when I've almost doubted Him. And I just asked God to please be patient with me that I'm a worm of a man, dust of the dust. And, you know, that it's, a, it's scary being down here trying to figure all this out, but that I trust Him. And I said, Father, you see that my my ultimate trust is in you, that I keep coming back to you and I keep, and I'm taking action on it. And I'm reminded that Abraham's faith was proven by his actions. And so now I have to be willing to take action on my faith. And that is that I believe God is telling me to do this. And even though it's going to cost me a lot of pain and discomfort and my children a lot of pain and discomfort, which I'm far more concerned about than me, I have to believe that God is asking me to do this and I have to obey, trusting that God has my good and their good in mind and that He'll bring something good out of this if I will obey and trust Him. And I'm praying that God will honor my faithfulness to do that at this point and and overlook the times that I've struggled with this and, and really just been almost doubtful. But the reality is I've just wanted to make sure that I'm hearing from the Lord on this and now I'm going to do it and I'm going to trust that that God will stop me if I have heard Him wrong or if he's just testing me, or that even if worst case scenario, I've made a mistake, that God can, Romans 8, 28 this, and turn it all around somehow or another for the children's good and my good and for his glory. I'm not looking forward to this, but I'm going to do it. I have to have the courage to obey God. And uh, I'm going to trust him because I know that he loves me and I know that he has what's best in store for me and for my babies. And again, I think to myself, the cost now to obey may seem high, 
but the cost of obedience later could be something that I could not even begin to calculate in this lifetime for my children. I have got to put my focus on obeying God so that He will bless my kids. So something really cool happened this morning. I'm on my way back from church. I had a, a, a great morning at church. Got to talk to Paul and his mom and um, just really wonderful message at church this morning. And then on the way out, I got to talk to Eddie, Paul's dad, for a little while. And then I met this man named Dwight, who I'm actually following right now on my way to another Bible study. And this guy, Dwight, such a nice guy. Um, he went through a... His wife died after 30 years of marriage two and a half years ago. So he's a widower, and we started talking about that and just some really powerful, powerful moments he shared. I asked him, you know, what are some of the, the quick points that you feel like God showed you about this? One of them was, don't let your wife's funeral be the most extravagant way you ever honor her. And I was just like, oh my goodness. Then he told the story about one morning he was walking, early morning walk on the sidewalk, and he kept stepping off into the grass and couldn't figure out why. And then he realized he was still walking on the left-hand side of the sidewalk, making room for his wife because for 30 years he had walked beside her. Such a powerful, powerful image. It was just amazing. I mean, I just had like tears in my eyes. And I told him that, funny thing is I'm, I'm actually interested in a woman who's a widow and he said Michael I can help you with this I can help you understand her heart and some things about you know what it's like to be a widower and he was explaining that widow widows don't feel the need to, to remarry that it doesn't take that to make them feel complete like somebody divorced does and and um, just really neat neat stuff and uh, so anyhow I'm, he asked me if I wanted to go to a Bible study so I'm on my way to go to a Bible study with him right now. See how it goes. So tonight is uh, 1041 on the 17th of March. I've had a very, very productive um, computer day today. I got my very first promise page done, which is where I want to take by subject matter and create one-page documents with all of my favorite verses that pertain to, you know, waiting on the Lord, fear the Lord, trust God, that kind of thing. Got my first one done today. It took a lot of time. I've also got a real good system going with putting images up on Facebook and got some um, stuff done with the videos today. And I saw 919 about at least four or five times today. And I was kind of like, whoa, Lord, what, what, what does that mean, Father? Are you telling me that? Because it's like, and I started feeling like nervous. Like, was I not supposed to be? Uh, doing all the the sheets I was making and the you know the energy I was putting into the the ministry today and I was wondering like you know has the Lord showed me that for that I mean then I prayed and I'm like no He told me to put the the word out there Luke eleven thirty three to put it out there and so then tonight my parents come in about nine thirty with the mail and nine thirty tonight and they bring me a letter from the Department of Revenue from Florida and it's a thing stating that my ex-wife has, you know, filed a complaint against me for child support, which I don't blame her, asking them for help. It was actually a nice letter saying, you know, please correspond with us when this information comes in. We can work with you and help you, da-da-da-da-da-da. And so then I started thinking, okay, that's probably why. I don't like getting, you know, stuff like that. And when I 
would ordinarily get stuff like that, it would make me want to full on go, you know what, God? Not that I would say this directly to him, but just, I got to go get a job. I got to go make things happen. I, I can't keep waiting like this. So I feel like the Lord must have encouraged me a lot today to stay put, knowing that this was going to happen, because usually when something like that comes, it makes me want to go fix the problem. So I have an awful lot of peace in my heart today. I'm not worried. Um, I'm not going to tell the children about me not being able to come and get them until the end of the week when they've passed their SATs because she doesn't want them to be stressed out. She sent me an email saying that, and I, I actually understand that. I'm sure she feels uh, some pleasure in the fact that it's causing me a delay, but I do understand the need to not stress the kids out. But my first thoughts were, well, God, maybe you'd like to provide something miraculously between now and then so that I don't have to actually go through with it. But nevertheless, I've seen as many 919s as I've seen. I suspect I'm still staying put. So I'm you know, I'm really um, having to do something that's very, very difficult. It's very hard. I keep putting my eyes back on Jesus and back on Abraham and Paul and Moses and David and just how they had to obey God in ways that if God didn't come through, a lot of people were going to get hurt. Their stakes were a whole lot higher than mine, mine are. And uh, so, anyhow... Just wanted to capture that quick message. It's 12.05 on March 18th, 2014. I'm out digging post holes in the backyard at my parents' house, helping them put their fence in. And I've seen 5.25, unusually, I've seen it about five times already this morning, going to Home Depot and here and there and all that. And uh, I just got done listening to a message by Charles Stanley about uh, intimates versus favorites. And the only way to be truly intimate with God is being willing to put everything you have down, set all your thoughts, agendas, wills, minds, desires aside, surrender it all to God, whatever He lets you keep. It may be more than you thought, it may be less than you thought. Being willing to uh, obey Him no matter what other people think. And I just was like praising God, thinking that because everything's been so hard and yet I just keep obeying God and I've, I have so much peace about it. So I just wanted to capture this very encouraging message I just heard. It was called Part 2 of Intimates versus Favorites by Charles Stanley. Michael Commentary Brothers and sisters, I wish I would have pointed out to you before we started this series to pay attention to when I'm going through something very difficult, how God will really load up the divine providence pointing with his finger to a certain scripture or a reminder or a promise for me in that particular moment. You remember how many times I've said to you that I have not been strong enough to do this. And here is a perfect example where you see I'm just days before having to go through the second spiritually bloody process of telling my children that I cannot come and get them for the second time sharing uh, in a row. Christmas being first for 2013, now spring break 2014. I'm dreading this beyond what I've ever dreaded anything, having to break their hearts. And so there's a tremendous amount of pressure on me to still be hoping that somehow or another this could change or perhaps be tempted that somebody else might come along and help. And look at how God is sandwiching the 919s. You've just heard me testify in the previous two recordings. And now the 525s, which is 
the new covenant equivalent of Numbers 9.19, Galatians 5.25. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I mean, God was doing these amazing things. And listen, it was not for me to understand. It's not for you to understand. It's not your business to understand what God is doing in your life. It's your business to obey. It's not your business to understand and ask all the whys and get all the blanks filled in. And see, that's a big problem that I have is that I've always wanted to know, but why and how and what is X in this equation, God? And so God just continues to, in spite of my weakness, in spite of my fears, in spite of my perhaps groaning and moaning, God is giving me this wonderful counsel to tell me to stay put. Listen to what I'm telling you. Stay put. And so he's given me this ample evidence that I am indeed hearing from him. And he's confirming it with both a new covenant passage and an old covenant passage that both say the same thing. Heed my voice and spirit and stay put. Do not move until I tell you to move. Okay. See, God, again, testing me. Will I obey him when it costs me the most important thing in my life, my children, and next to that, my dignity? And I just want to remind you here, those of you brothers and sisters that are listening to this, I probably can't remind you of this enough, that God is dealing with me in a different way that he's dealing with you. I'm a different son. I'm not the same son of God as you are. God may deal less severely with you. God may deal more severely with you. In all likelihood, he'll deal less severely with you. So please, again, don't judge God and don't fear that you'll have to go through the same things the same way and for the same length of time that I have. Everybody is different, and God knows exactly how much heavy-handedness or how much kindness He has to show each of us. I need it a lot. You see, God is breaking me down. Remember, my number one idol, Habakkuk 1.11. Remember, they are guilty men whose own strength is their God, and my own strength has been my God for many years, my ability to make an income, and so God is attacking and going after that one thing that has been such a severely strong, tall, vibrant, you know, high growth idol in my life, my self-sufficiency. So when you look at this and you say, oh, God would never ask you to do something wrong. He may not ask you to do that because you don't have the same problem that I do. See, if God doesn't ask you to go through the kind of suffering that he's asked me to go through, it's because, number one, you don't have the character flaws that I do. And number two, he doesn't have the same mission plan for you as he does for me. If God's going to build a significant ministry and give you, build a trust in you, he's going to have to test you and test you and test you. Listen, if you're Joseph, you're going to have to go through hell before you'll ever be second highest in command in Egypt appointed there by the sovereign hand of God. You are going to have to go through a mess of trouble, passing test after test, trial after trial, waiting after waiting, and the word of God is going to test you and test you and test you. And so you can see uh, God deals with all of us uniquely. Same principles, differing amounts, differing providence, different circumstances, but the principles are all the same. And so I hope you'll pay attention to the principles in this. Whatever that idol is in your life, God will go after it. If it's your children, God will go after it. If it's your spouse, God will go after it. If it's your career, your finances, if it's your health, if it's your vanity, your body, how you look, God will go after that. Listen, you may have a friend who's getting away with living like that and putting all their eggs in that one basket and making that thing a big, giant, tall idol in their life. 
And God's not messing around with them. They're an illegitimate child. Hebrews 12, they're not one of God's chosen children. God will allow them, even if they call on his name, God will allow them to just continue to go. If you are a chosen elect of God, God is going to discipline you. God is going to discipline you and he will attack and go after because he's loving father. He'll go after to crush the idols in your life. Mine was self-sufficiency. What is yours? End of commentary. It's 5.59 on March 21st, 2014. And just finished up, almost finished up, putting in mom's new fence in the backyard. Been working really hard the last couple of days, doing a lot of labor, digging holes and mixing concrete. And it's been really actually good just to do it. Sometimes it's really good just to do that hard outdoor work. And I uh, today completed the seven minute disciple page and got that up and i'm very very excited about that um really super excited about uh, the teachings of jesus christ and being able to share them with people and being able to have them all consolidated in one area where people can get to them easily so did that today um have been feeling really really peaceful even though I don't have any new news on my finances and even though my kids are sure to find out I think tonight or tomorrow about the fact that I'm not coming to get them I'm sure they left school telling their teachers yeah we're going to Alabama tomorrow and they're going to be devastated and that just breaks my heart thinking about it I've had such peace about it all week but thinking about today being the day that was going to tell um, because she didn't want to bother their stress levels anymore with taking the SATs this week. I'm just still trusting that God um, is doing this for a reason. It's uh, 622 right now on my odometer as I just looked down. I want to see what that number 622 is. And also, I saw a 511. I hadn't seen that in a long time, but I saw a 511 on my way out of the house and then I saw a 5 622 Noah did everything just as God commanded him it's actually the top verse on my thing this is one of those scriptures that's talking about obeying and I'm thinking about what am I needing to be really careful it seems like the Lord's been really telling me with some scriptures to be very careful to obey everything that he's telling me like showing me 801 as well Michael commentary Brothers and sisters, we all want to make meaning out of our life stories and how God is dealing with us. I want to remind you that the Father in heaven is literally pointing his finger on his living word, showing me the meaning that he determines of everything that I'm going through. This is so incredible. This is why I've mentioned at the beginning of this series, please, even if you don't see the numbers, pay attention because this is a class and seeing how Father feels about all of these situations that I'm going through and how I'm responding to it and how other people are dealing with me. Father is telling me the whole way, this is the meaning from my perspective on what you're going through. So you've just heard me mention 622. I didn't remember what it was. 
I remember I looked it up. It was uh, Genesis 6.22, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. This is a scripture God has shown me multiple times over these years to remind me to stay focused and finish the work he's asked me to do, along with several other scriptures we'll get to as the recordings progress in time. But now you just heard me mention 801, and I forgot to tell you what that scripture is. I've mentioned it before, but look how it goes right in line with Genesis 6.22, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. You know, listen, how ridiculous is it when it most likely no rain has ever come on the earth at this time because the curse of the fall had not yet happened, the flood had not yet come, and many theologians and scientists believe that there had not been an atmosphere of rain on the earth, but rather an atmosphere of humidity, and all plants and people and things received moisture just directly out of the air. There was no need for storm clouds and heavy rainfalls and stuff. So imagine how absolutely senseless it would appear to all of the people in the world that Noah is building this thing called called a boat in the middle of a desert. There again, a real story of a real man walking with God, living by faith, being asked by God to do something that does not make sense to anybody and no doubt would have brought a great deal of pain and frustration and disappointment on his family. Imagine how this affected his family. Okay, don't just think of Noah. Imagine the, the ridicule that Noah's family had to go through. Imagine the embarrassment of all the people walking going, oh, you've, you know, stupid idiots. You think it's going to rain and da-da-da. You think God's judgment's coming on the earth. Imagine, it's not just Noah. It's his whole family that would have suffered. Why? Because Abraham was being obedient to do what God asked him to do. And listen to this. Was it not the result of Abraham's obedience, his willingness to lose his dignity, to do exactly what God commanded him, even in the face of hurting his children, his wife, his family, that was the very thing that became the life raft out of danger and out of the storm and out of death upon earth? Wasn't it the very thing that saved them. Wasn't it Noah's obedience that blessed his family, even though for a time it would have been extremely painful to them? Listen, he didn't build that boat in a week. He didn't build that boat in a year. He didn't build that boat in 10 years. There's some people that estimate it was over a hundred years it took Noah to build that boat. Think of how long his family had to suffer. Talk about until the word of the Lord came to pass The word of the Lord tested him. If we think Joseph, that verse should have been written about Noah, Psalm 105, 19. Think about how much the word of God tested Noah and his family. You big, baffling idiot. Building a boat when nobody's ever even seen the first lick of rain and you're trying to talk to us about some kind of flood and God's judgment. What are you smoking, man? You've been hanging out over at the boiling tar pits too much, Mr. Noah. Seriously, think about that. And now here, what is going to happen to my children as the world is falling apart before our very eyes? Even right now, as I make this recording, we're suffering the 2020 coronavirus, of which most people believe, and as I have also stated in previous recordings, the greatest impact of this virus is going to be economically, not health-wise. A lot of people are going to suffer. This is a wave of God's judgment. There's going to be many more. Brothers and sisters, you have to prepare for it. Literally last night, 
I had a very sobering conversation with Tyler, who happens to be sitting right beside me on another computer editing videos. And I told Tyler, I said, son, I want you to listen to me. I want you to pay fast attention to what I'm telling you, and I want you to be very sober about what I'm telling you. We are living in days where I absolutely believe that in my lifetime, Tyler, we could see the rise of the Antichrist, and you and I may have to very well lose our life for our faith in Jesus Christ. It is very possible that the Antichrist could show up on this earth in our lifetime. It's not going to be soon. There's a lot of very difficult things that still have to happen on this earth. And even if it doesn't, we still need to be prepared to meet the Lord on our deathbed. We need to make sure we're not ashamed to stand before the Lord and give an account of our life. But I'm making the point that we have to remain sober because we are in the last days. Without a doubt, we are in the last days. We're not in the last day. We're in the last days, the end times. And so when you look at this obedience that I've had, that I'm now able to say with such great conviction some of the things I say to my son, who knows how God may use my obedience all those years ago to allow my children to suffer. Even now, still, my four other children suffer in ways that I'm not even aware of. But God, I do not yet know how God will vindicate all these years of painful obedience. I do not yet know while everybody's making fun of me for building this ark called faith, called obedience, called taking up the cross, called a life of self-denial, even when everybody thinks I'm an absolute fool, I do not yet fully know what the Lord's vindication is for that. But I can guarantee you this. There was nobody gasping for air with mouthfuls of salt water that was calling Noah and his family idiots or fools were mentally ill anymore as they sailed off into what would become the great blue yonder as everybody else's heads were going underwater and they would never see the light of life ever again. And Noah's relentless, steadfast determination to trust and obey God paid off not only for those eight people on that boat, it paid off for you and it paid off for me. I still don't understand why it doesn't really point out in the scripture that the entire earth was blessed through Noah's obedience to God. Oh, it points out that Abraham will be a blessing to many, but Abraham wouldn't have existed if it wouldn't have been for Noah. Think about that, brothers and sisters. You wouldn't be listening to this recording right now in front of this computer. Your parents would have never been able to bring you on this planet. There'd be no grandparents, no great-grandparents, no great-great-great-grandparents. There'd be nothing you know of if it wouldn't have been for Noah's steadfast commitment to obey God. Can we possibly imagine? It would have overwhelmed Noah's entire soul, his entire being, if God would have given him even a tiny fraction, the tip of the iceberg glimpse of the outcome of his obedience to God. That you and I are sitting here today walking with God or learning to walk with God or wrestling with God or seeking after God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength because of one man's commitment to be seen as an absolute fool in the eyes of everybody in the world. Brothers and sisters, you will never know how much you will be a blessing to your family and to others if you obey him at all costs. I perhaps will not know how much of a blessing 
that I will have been to my family, my children, to my parents, to my friends, because I disobeyed them, because I was willing to hurt them. Jesus said, if anyone comes to him and doesn't hate his mother and father, his brother and sister, his wife and children, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. But what Jesus hides in that passage is, you'll never be put to shame trusting in God. I wonder when I get to heaven, how God will show me what the impact of all this obedience has been that for right now, I'm not able to see. What will God show me, Michael? This was the cost that I told you that day, walking on that sidewalk in Stonemark neighborhood, when I said to you, you do not understand the cost if you quit. And perhaps God will show me that cost when I come to glory in front of him. Perhaps God will show you the cost if you would have quit today of what it would have cost the kingdom of God, what it would have cost other people. When God is testing you, it's because he's asking if he can bless you. God was showing me the 801 in partnership with the 622, Deuteronomy 8, 1. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase. Brothers and sisters, have I increased? Yes or no? Is God's word living and true? Yes or no? Have I entered into the promised land? Have I testified to you that I've entered into the promised land? Yes, I absolutely have. Has God testified to it? Yes, he absolutely has. Has there been an increase? Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Brothers and sisters, there's a spiritual promised land. Fullness in Christ. And do you know how many people are dwelling in that camp with me right now as God has increased me? Why? Because I obeyed him. Not because I was special. I'm a fool. I'm a weak nothing. But because I've obeyed him. Look at the number of people who've come with me to worship on this mountain in the promised land of life to the full in Jesus Christ. Because of radical, determined obedience that is willing to cut off anything and everything down to its very dignity in life as a human being in order to please his commanding officer. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you, to prove you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger for the things that you desired, for the relationships, for the comfort, for the dignity, for the satisfaction, for the ministry work, for the power in your life. To be hungry is righteous. To, the hunger for holiness. He caused you to hunger. And then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, all these numbers are manna. I'm in the wilderness. God is feeding me spiritual manna. The word of God teaching me you cannot live by having a happy, peaceful life with your ex-wife and getting to see your children at every single court-appointed time-sharing moment. You cannot live having a good career, making a decent income, having all your bills paid always on time, perhaps in advance. 
You cannot live having a great church group, a great Bible study, a nice home, all these things that you want and desire. You cannot live on bread and temporary circumstances alone. But on every word that comes from the mouth of God, God is telling me, God is telling you, when I speak to you and I command you, you cannot live unless you walk in the command that I've given you. You cannot live. Brothers and sisters, I'm alive today. I have a life. I have a strength in God. I have a a faith that has been such a rich blessing. I'm in possession of the greatest promise God could ever give you. Strong faith, a strong awareness, a strong relationship with Him. I know Him. I walk with Him. And he's, He's built me up in a character such that no matter what I suffer today, I'm able to go through with a smile on my heart, trusting the Lord in these things. He's made me strong. He's built me up in the land. This is the heritage of those who obey God. But it had, I had to be very careful to obey. I want you to see this is real. This isn't just like one hour recording and then it ends. This goes on day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. Now, it's not the same. There's going to be lots of different scenarios. But I want you to see this is what persevering through difficult circumstances and time looks like. The surrendered life that obeys God. And here God is showing me 622 and 801. He's putting his finger on a verse and giving me meaning. This is what this means, Michael. If you will obey me and do everything I command, I have some good things for you, son. I have increase for you. And you're going to enter into the land and you'll possess it and you'll live in it a long time. And here is the world is falling apart before my very eyes. The world is on its knees waiting for its idols to come back. And yet I'm enjoying peace and prosperity in the land. This is a reward for the servants of the Lord who obey him. Pay attention. Follow this example, brothers and sisters, not by putting God to the test. Remember, when I tell you to attempt something great, trusting God, I'm not telling you to do this apart from his will. Make sure you understand that I'm not doing anything in these recordings that I did not absolutely believe and was convinced that God had told me to do. End of commentary. So, um... I think I need to memorize some more teachings. Overall, I'm feeling very, very good, except for the fact that my kids are being told tonight. That is a heartbreaker, but there's just, there's a peace inside of me that has surrendered to this, that recognizes that I'm trusting that God is in control and that God will use this for mine and the kids' good. And as hard as it has been, obeying is getting easier and easier I'm finding that the further down this road I get of obeying God you get to a point where I think even Oswald Chambers actually mentioned this in one of his devotions this month that you get to a point where you no longer need to even really think about it you just obey no matter what and you know that your your obedience has been made complete at that point Your your maturity has been made complete at that point and so that's really what I'm going through and I just trust that God's going to use all this. My circumstances are still extremely humbling. I have maybe two months left until I'm going to be kicked out of the house. Um, and my mama can said something to me this morning about, you know, where do you, where are you going? You, you know where you're going? I said, no, I've had a couple offers, but I don't know. I'm just waiting on the Lord. I had also seen a 919 this morning too. So 
I don't have any idea where I'm going to live. I'm really praying that God is going to bless my finances and that I'll be able to have enough money to have my own place. But I have no idea. I'm just going to continue to trust. And I feel like as long as the Lord will continue to confirm for me that I'm on the right path, I could pretty much do anything as long as I knew that the Lord was telling me to do it. And as long as I knew that He was with me, that He knew what was going on, of course He does, but that I'm actually operating in uh, in line with His plan. In other words, I'm hearing Him correctly and obeying it. So I'm really um, looking forward to some relief, but I'm also just totally content in the Father. I told Him tonight, I said, Lord, I'm just so content in you that you are all I need I think so many people will fear and trust the Lord when they see what God continues to do in the life of somebody who's willing to obey him to the point where it hurts sometimes you know it hurts a lot quite often so I'm a little tired from all the work that I've been doing the last couple of days but my heart is really really well my heart is really well. All is well with my soul. My men's Bible study group continues to go really well. The men had such wonderful things to say. Said that this past one, I kind of just let it rip and started speaking to them from the heart about obeying God and surrendering. And they all just were like, wow. They walked away and said, this was really, really important for us to hear. And so I'm just so thankful that God is showing up even when I was tired. So now I'm on my way to my second singles Bible study meeting with a church called um, Cross Point. I don't go to that church, but I got invited to go to their uh, Sunday morning singles Bible study after church, and I went. And so uh, I'm going to this one on Friday night as well, and I've got a couple people there that I know that are going to be there. Now I'm looking forward to hearing from my kids and being able to get past the disappointment of them not being able to see their father for spring break because I'm I'm really disappointed in that. But again, I just have such a peace that God wants me to do this. And I'm trusting him no matter what. It's 9.30 um, on the 21st of March. I just finished coming from the singles Bible study class on Friday night at the Cross Point Church and I felt really encouraged at one point to actually encourage a, another uh, lady, a girl in there who opened up about a real dark season that she had been going through and she actually almost felt suicidal and I just felt prompted to to really kind of take authority and speak directly to her and encourage her to trust in the Lord and ask her to please watch my story and um, just encouraged her to get in the Word. She's just struggling a lot, and she's not she's not in the Word a lot. And they, her and her boyfriend were there, and they've been through some rough stuff. He's a recovering drug addict and very new Christian. Really interesting to uh, have the opportunity to, to, to do that. But I left feeling like I was still too conscious. People put me on a pedestal. Because of my ability to communicate and um, to, because I know the Word and I feel so comfortable with the Lord and so passionate about Him that I have a tendency to stand out in a, in a group and people want to make comments about it and 
wow, thank you, no, and wow, you know, your authority to speak, and wow, you know, just, you know, you're allowing the Spirit operate in your life, and man, thank you, and all that, and, and I, I feel like I, am, I walked out and I said, God, I'm not happy with this. Michael Commentary. Brothers and sisters, this was a very dangerous time in my life again. I had good need to be anxious about this. Obviously, I've taken my anxiety at this time to the Lord. You'll hear more about that in the recording as we continue. But I want to point out that this was a very vulnerable time for me where nothing is working in my life circumstantially. And then people come along and they begin to praise me. And that lifts me up out of that real low valley of nothingness that God has put me in. And if I was not extremely sensitive and extremely fearful of God at this time, those kind of things can lift you up out of the time of discipline that God has put you in. They can begin to activate that pride, that satanic pride that lives inside all of us that will begin to lift us up. Now, you probably, if you've heard my autobiography, you heard that I had it out with God many years ago, that I got sick and tired of being complimented on my ability to speak in front of crowds and people coming up and praising me. I got sick and tired of not the, not the appreciation and the praise, but how it was affecting my heart, knowing that it was leading to pride. And I began to become very conscious of the battle I was having with pride. I could see that there was something in me that wanted to self-exalt, that wanted to lift myself up, that wanted to be elevated above others through the praise of men. It's in me. It is a disease. It is sick. It is horrible. It is evil. It is satanic. It is without a doubt one of the most horrible things that we as human beings have, this thing called pride that comes out of hell. I'd like for you to take note of this, um, and I'm saying this to you years later, not to honor myself, but simply to bring a practice that I found uh, that is very beneficial for me. You know, the Lord was going to do some mighty works in my heart to bring me to a place of lowliness in my own eyes. And especially in 2018, when we get to that storytelling, you'll see how God took me from this place of power and anointing to totally stripping me of it so that I could again be reminded of who I am apart from him, which is nothing. It's a glorious, glorious thing God is going to do in the future. But even today, it still is there and I still want to fight against it and be very vigilant to keep that down, putting down the misdeeds of my body, the misdeeds of my corrupt flesh by the power of the Spirit. So I'm always on guard against it with God's help. I thank God for all the suffering that He brings into my life to constantly keep me low in my own eyes, dependent upon Him. But if you'll notice, if you ever go to YouTube and you look at some of the comments, a lot of times, brothers and sisters that have been very thankful for the message, they'll come along and they'll praise me. Now, I've tried to train a lot of people to not praise me, praise the Lord, who's done the work in me. But nevertheless, I'll say thank you, but I always thank the Lord. I always defer that praise to the Lord because the truth is, and this isn't something I'm doing to be a self-righteous Christian. It's not even something I'm doing to be an example to other people. This is something that comes out of my heart. I recognize now more than ever by the work of the Spirit in my life over all these years that it is not me that can come up with anything good. My ability to speak where did I get it from? Did it come from me? Did I sign up for it? Did I merit it? Did I earn it? Did I pay for it? It came from him. My ability to follow and have obedience and to have faith, where did it come from? Was I born with it? 
Did my parents give it to me? Did I inherit this? No, it was given to me as a gift from God. So all the good things that I see in me and I see in other people, it all comes from God. Anything that's evil, it comes from Satan or self. Anything that is good in us, even Jesus said, why do you call me good? Now, if Jesus said, why do you call me good? How much more can I say, why do you call me good? There is only one good, the Father, right? But because of him, we are good. Because of the spirit of Christ in us, if he is indeed in us, we are good. And we can take pride in the Lord. We can boast in the Lord. But all that we have comes from him. Literally, without him, I am nothing but a dirtbag, self-exalting, prideful, deceived, self-sufficient lover of the praise of men. That's all I am apart from the, the spirit of Jesus Christ. And I have to keep that down. So, in Proverbs twenty seven twenty one, to give you a, a principle that goes with what I'm struggling with in this recording, uh, King Solomon wrote that the crucible is for the silver and the furnace, high heat, fire for gold, but man is tested by the praise he receives. See, a time may come in your life when God may allow, particularly men, men are very vulnerable to this, where you might be praised for something, even something good you've done, something good for God. And that, like a fire to gold, that praise brings up that pride inside of you. See, this is what I couldn't understand all those years earlier when I was struggling, when I would come away from a sales talk or a motivational speech. Why was I feeling this horrible thing after people would come up and praise me? The reason is, is because that praise was bringing up the dross of pride in my heart to the surface. See, it lies low, like as where with gold has impurities and what they call dross deep inside that only comes to the surface when you test it or prove it true by a fire. In other words, a man may look at a chunk of gold and it may appear on the outside to be pure and lovely and very valuable. But the truth of the matter is you don't know until you put fire on that gold and you melt it. And then what happens is the impurities in the gold begin to separate by coming to the surface. And that's how the goldsmiths will clear it away or a silversmith. They'll take those impurities that come to the top. And so what God is saying to us here is that one of the testings of men, there's many testings of men when somebody falsely accuses you. When somebody hates you, when somebody slanders you, when your finances are taken away, when you lose your job, when you lose a relationship, when you lose your dignity, all of these things are testings. They are fire being put to a human gold to bring to the surface all of that which is not like Jesus. So praise is one of those things that you hear me struggling with here. The reason why I'm so anxious about this happening is because of what had happened in the past. When somebody would praise me, this ugly thing would show up and I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't like that. And I would want to push it down. See, God doesn't want to push it down. He wants it to be exposed so that we can put it down by the power of the spirit, not the power of the flesh. And by putting it down, it literally means eradicate it. Give us a victory over it. Conquer that enemy. Just as if we were the Israelites going into Canaan, we would expect the power of God to annihilate those enemies, not to simply park them in silence, you know, across the fence. We expected annihilation. And that's what I'm believing for more and more is for God as he brings to the surface through whatever means and testing he sees fit any of these drosses in my heart for God to give me the power of the Holy Spirit to put it down. Now, brothers and sisters, let me look you in the eye and tell you this. I wish I could look you in the eye, but I can't. 
There is a power that comes from faith that will enable you to put down every single enemy, total death in your life to where they literally have very little impact on you. You can believe by faith that God can indeed help you to have victory over these enemies in the land of your heart. Uh, Don't be afraid when he brings them up to the surface, but believe by faith that it will be to you according to your faith that if you will have the humility to again know and confess that you cannot, the faith to know and believe that he can and will, and the patience to wait until he does, God will begin to produce in you a treasure of Christ-like character that is unequal to anything he can give you in this lifetime. It is truly remarkable. And then you're fighting for the rest of your life from a position of power, from a position of victory. You've taken over the promised land. And once you've gotten in it, it's much easier to fight to keep it than it is to fight to get into it. Always remember that. May God bless you as you continue to listen. End of commentary. I walked out and I said, God, I'm not happy with this. I don't like this. I'm too conscious about it. And I literally told the Father, Lord, I I want you to honor me, but I don't want other people to be making a big deal out of me. I want them to make a big deal out of you. And I know that they do, but I still feel, feel a little anxiety about that tonight. I think it's because I still, my circumstances are still so humble. I don't have anything, a phone, my own place to live, a job, money, that I maybe am afraid that some of that might get on me and contribute to some of my value. And I keep saying, no, I'm valuable whether anybody knows I exist or not. And I don't want to get into this whole people giving me compliments thing and stuff. I still have a lot of anxiety about that based upon what my past was. I don't want to say a lot of anxiety. That's the wrong word to use. I'm conscious of it. I'm aware of it. I've confessed it to the Father. I've given Him all the glory. And for all I know, I could be being tested in this. And and I don't want to have any of that get on me. So I've talked to the Lord about that, and then I saw 919 twice on the clock, and then looked up, and the car right in front of me had 919 on it. And right now, my odometer is on 86,664 miles. That's 666. And so I'm wondering if I'm going to get an email from or something about the kids, or I'm also wondering what the 919 means. I'm saying, Lord, am I supposed to not go to this Bible study? Uh, what is it you're wanting me to do? Not get ahead here? Or is this uh, because I'm going to feel some pressure about going back and working after I get a bad email from or something? I'm not sure, but I uh, just wanted to capture that. I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to, to make it clear to me. So now it is uh, 10 o'clock. I just did a recording a few minutes ago and took a picture of the 666, I saw the 919 twice, and then I see the 666, and I'm going, oh man, I haven't seen that in a long time. And I even recorded in there that, wow, maybe I'm going to get a reply back from tonight from a week ago's email. Absolutely did. God, again, being so faithful to me, I'm going to get on my knees and just cry out to Him. She just sent me a a really long email that was... uh, Really just just trying to rip me apart, saying I'm mentally messed up and heresy teacher and all that. And that how disturbing it was to watch the video that I shared with the kids. And now they're so confused. And I am just so unbelievably thankful that my father continues to warn me. 
that I looked down and I saw that 666 and I made a recording. Well, I guess I'm going to see and here it hasn't been 15 minutes and I get this really huge long. That is astonishing to me and God knows that it puts the pressure on me to want to move when I get that kind of guilt and that kind of condemnation and shame thrown my way. It has a tendency to make me want to move and fix the problem, and yet God there again showing me the 919s twice um, tonight on the way home. Clear as day, I come over a hill, my headlights go bam, right into the license plate, 919. And this is just so wonderful. God trying to encourage me. I saw 555 several times tonight on the way. Actually, I saw it once, I think, tonight. No, I saw it twice on the way to the Bible study. When I read the email, I was almost like, oh, I won't even read that tonight. I'll read it tomorrow. And then I was like, no, I'm going to read it now. And so I read it, and it it leaves no feeling in me whatsoever. It's like I'm reading this about somebody else. I don't get that feeling in my stomach anymore. It's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. It's wonderful that God has protected me. It's not wonderful that I get emails like that. But um, I'm going to just continue to pray and trust that God's going to bless me. I did see 511 today, and um, God reminded me. I'll be blessed if I wait upon him. It's crazy because I can't really tell anybody about this. But God knows I believe I'm doing what the Father has asked me to do. And even though it doesn't make sense and even though my enemy is using it against me and claiming I'm now a complete idiot and a fool, which I understand, I understand. I'm willing to look like an idiot and a fool. I am. So, hmm, she's just so angry. I understand. It's crazy. I, I it really makes me look forward to seeing how God is going to wrap this up if he's going to, you know, how he will vindicate me and, and provide so that I can provide for my children. I'm going to go pray right now about it. I'm so thankful for God's faithfulness to warn me with the 666s. That's incredible. It is March 24th, 2014. It's 1236 a.m. It's about 50 degrees outside. It is just a beautiful, beautiful day. I haven't been able to come out to the woods all week. I got called out two days ago and ended up not being able to make it from just not feeling well. I just didn't feel good enough to come out. So I just kind of laid in my bed to rest for a while and then went back to work. Um, been out here today and have literally prayed the whole time out for at least 45 minutes. And I just wanted to capture that I'm so thankful to the Lord for making me wait on all of the things that He's making me wait on. There is something so so mysteriously revelatory to me on and on I keep having my eyes opened in my heart to the importance of waiting upon God I can think of so many things I've asked God for quickly that I have longed for uh, finances fruit in the ministry time with my children my wife so many things, uh, being delivered from the persecution at my house, having my own place, having my own car, a sense of freedom. God, I have so begged Him so many times to quickly rescue me, quickly provide. And here I am now, coming up in two months, March, April, May, in two months. It will be three long years since I have lived with my parents, since I have not had uh, the ability to fully take care of myself since I've lived this humble circumstance, uh, circumstances, just totally dependent upon God, uh, going through uh, a tremendous amount of discomfort, persecution, suffering, confusion, waiting desperately upon the Lord. And 
I am out here today thanking my God. None of my circumstances have changed at all. Nothing has changed. I'm still waiting on everything. I still have not had any finances provided to me. I have nothing new. I'm missing my kids. I, I, I walked out onto the trail and started to weep about my kids because they're without me. Spring break, they're supposed to be with me. This is two times now. I've missed my kids and it, it breaks my heart. And my enemy is, my ex-wife is turning it all around to fully convince the children that I am a heretic, that I am a lunatic, that I am completely uh, misguided and an idiot. And I knew that this was one of the things that would happen, that the Lord was putting me in a position where my enemy would have evidence that I'm everything she's ever said I was. But I ended up just being so, you know, just... <sighs> I guess my biggest concern has been that the kids would not have their opinion shaped in me differently. And of course, I trust the Father to change that. But I've been struggling with that. I came out and said, Lord, you know I trust you. I mean, I'm supposed to be with my kids right now on the trail. You know, and, and being able to love on them and tell them how much I care for them and just pouring God's heart into them and just reassuring them of my love. And I have just such a weak connection with my kids through the telephone. It's so difficult. I, I don't like talking on the phone to begin with, but with my kids, the hour and a half that I'm on there, it's not the same as me being, I can't give them my love language that way. I, it's so hard. And I'm just begging the Father for the, Him to give them to me. I want them full time. And then I say, Father, if you have different plans for me, your will be done, not mine. But I've asked him to please give me more time with my kids so that I can love on them and teach them. But I have specifically asked the Father to give me my children full time. I have been more fervently praying for him to give them to me. I know I have ministry things to do. I know that God is using me all over the place. It's wonderful. And it's, it's obvious from some comments that have been made to me this past weekend that God is using me in ways I'm not even conscious of. And I say, let it be that way. I don't need to know. I don't need to have my honor come from men. I want my honor to come from the Father. But the point is, even though He's asking me to do these other things, He has given me such a heart to be a full-time father to my children and to raise them in the fear of the Lord. I like my kids. I mean, that's what makes it worse. It would be... I hate to say it, but it would be easier if they were just obnoxious and I didn't like them. And I'd be like, great, I'm glad she gets to take care of them. But that's not how I feel about my kids at all. I absolutely adore them. I mean, I absolutely adore them. And it just breaks my heart that I can't spend more time with them. And yet. And here's the and yet. The same thing with waiting for Laura. For so long, I've been waiting for this person whom I love, who I can't have any contact with. It's the same with my kids. I absolutely adore them and love them to death. And I want so bad to train them, not just to entertain them, but to train them and teach them the fear of the Lord and how to walk with the Lord. And I find myself, here's the main point I want to get across in this message. I find myself thanking God more and more and more for making me wait this long. I just, God's wisdom is so unbelievable. He so knows what he's doing. And again, in these woods, today praying, I find such peace in my heart over God putting me through such difficult 
circumstances where I'm not even able to see my own children because God loves me enough to continue to work in my heart and finish and allow me to persevere through these trials such as James 1, counting it all joy, for I know that the testing of my faith produces perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that I will be mature and complete, lacking nothing. I have begged the Father multiple times over the last three years, God, do not take me out of the oven until I'm done. God, do not take me off of the great surgeon's table until the procedure is finished. And it has taken a lot longer than I have suspected. The Lord, in His, is, in His infinite wisdom, has chosen to constantly keep me in the dark on exactly how long this procedure is going to be. He never said, Michael, this is going to be a nine-hour procedure. You'll be asleep the whole time. When you wake up, it'll all be done. He never told me how long it would be. And He certainly has never put me to sleep. I've been aware of it the entire time. But I am so unbelievably thankful for God changing my heart and my life. There is something so unbelievably mysterious about how this pain and this suffering produces the best in you. And it's, oh, I just am so thankful. My God, if I would have had an answered prayer, if God would have given me Laura as an example, if God would have given me Laura, you know... 18 months ago, when I was just, you know, so excited and, God, this is amazing that you're doing this, it would have ruined me. I'm not saying it would have ruined me beyond recovery, but I clearly believe it would have gotten way in the way of the work God has wanted to do in my heart that can only be taken place over time. So much time. So much longer than I thought. So much to the point where... There's times where you want to say, God, you better hurry it up. We're running out of time here. I'm not going to live forever. As if God doesn't know exactly when he's going to bring you home and as if God can't accomplish all things he needs to through you exactly when he wants to. But I am just, I am so thankful. It is not, I am not thankful for not having these things, but I'm thankful that God has not given to them, given them to me yet. I'm so thankful that God hadn't given me my children full-time yet. I'm so thankful that God has used my children to, to, to cause me to suffer. He knows there's nothing on the planet that's more valuable to me than my children. There's no living person that has more impact on my life than my kids. I am training myself. Many times I'm motivated to stay in the game because of my kids. Because I, I know that I may look like a fool in their eyes now. I know that my enemy, their mother may be just pounding me every day into their heads. But I also know that with one wipe of God's eraser, He can change all of that in their hearts. And He can show Himself faithful on my behalf and vindicate me entirely. No matter if she spent 18 years of their life pounding me into the ground... God can vindicate in a moment and erase all of that. If God can't do that, He ain't a God worth living for. This is God we're talking about, and I trust Him. He's, he's taught me to trust Him. Oh God, how I trust You, Lord. I trust You. And 
I've had so many moments along the way where I just want to quit. So many moments. I mean, even for somebody like me who people would say has really strong faith, what people don't know is I don't think I have very strong faith. I think my faith has been weak. It has been a mustard seed supported by God's strong grace. Big difference. Now, my faith has grown, but it's been Him that's helped me to grow. I mean, it's really a very big mystery. It's mysterious. God equips you with everything He demands of you. You simply have to participate. You have to show up. You have to have self-control and discipline and practice spiritual disciplines. And God adds His grace to it and gives you this amazing ability to fulfill His purpose and the desires of your character for Him. Meaning the desires He sees, He wants to see in your character. So, I just... For people that get stuck waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, I am seeing now that the worse that you desire something outside of God, if you just if your desire is totally God, 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 which mine has been for a long time, that's a good desire that God will honor. But when you have something in your life that you are really itching for and burning for, I would have to say that the majority of the time, that is something that God wants to rearrange its position in your heart. Because when we want something so bad, that's usually an indicator that we believe that thing will somehow or another complete us or make us happy or bring us a sense of security or peace or remove our fear. Um, and anything that would do that, that would be a crutch as opposed to standing on the strength of our God I think God would not honor that. And I think God is wise to make us wait. I love the analogy that Charles Stanley tells about making Andy Stanley, his son, wait for a pocket knife. He wanted one early on. And his dad says, oh no, you have to wait because you can cut yourself with this. you got to learn how to use a pocket knife. you got to be responsible. Well, what a fool Charles Stanley would be to give in to that and give his son a pocket knife before he was ready. The very thing that his son desires so much could be the thing that could take him out or weaken him at best, or at least. So, I am very, very thankful that the Lord is waiting and has made me wait so long to the point where I've told God several times, Lord, I could live with her, I can live without her. And I've gotten so content that I have found myself several times going, God, I could, I could live like this forever and not have to have a wife. And yet I still have a desire to have her. I still have a love for her, but I don't need her. It's totally different. And I know that when God's timing is right and he feels I'm done and ready, then he'll introduce me to her. And Yes, it's, there's been so many moments of anxiety and anxiousness, but I just continue to always go back to, I trust you, God. And so the main point is, again, I don't, I don't know how to put it in any words. It's just, you end up being able to wait so much longer than you think you can. And as you wait and you trust in the Lord intentionally, you, re you begin to see that God had purposes in mind to continue to carve on your heart and to change you, and to shape you, to make you more mature, more complete, stronger, more responsible, a better steward, more complete in Him, more content. And then whatever He gives you, 
It never has you. It's only something that you can use or somebody that you can love or something that you can enjoy without it ever getting in the way of you having this extraordinary relationship with God. So, once again, circumstances have not changed, but I find myself being so happy realizing that even just two weeks ago, I'm still now a different person. I'm constantly growing. All praise and all glory to God.